0: i think that's that's really our main purpose is to help grad students and postdocs pass the time doing tissue
1: culture (laughs) makes total sense welcome to hello phd a podcast for scientists and the people who love them today on the show we learn about skills to support your lab mates through the trials of graduate school stay with us
0: And we're back. This is Hello PhD, episode 41. I'm Joshua Hall. I'm Daniel Erneman. And we will discuss the human side of science and life in the lab. Another week, Dan. How are you, Josh? I'm doing all right. Good. Glad to hear it. Beautiful spring weather lately. I'm really enjoying it. Uh, Hopefully everybody's getting spring weather, finally. Finally, and I feel like we're starting to reach that happy point where
1: the weather's beautiful and the pollen has subsided. It is a magical time and then the the mosquitoes come out and then you're back inside anyway. That's
0: true. We're in that uh we're in that romantic period between pollen and mosquitoes. Yeah. Enjoy so. it, everyone.
1: Open the windows. So you'll remember, Josh, back around the beginning of the year, we got an email from a guy named Juan, who is a graduate student, who's doing a a it's kind of a split program where he spends two years at the NIH and two years at either Oxford or Cambridge, and he actually ended up going to Oxford. And that would be fascinating enough, but he wrote to tell us about a program that he participated in called Peer Support. Does that phrase mean anything to you? Peer
0: Support. Does that mean propping up my lab mates yeah. who are, haven't had their V8?
1: Exactly. I think that's what it is. I don't know
0: mm-hmm. if anybody knows that reference. Yeah.
1: <laughs> about V8? Yeah. Is that still a thing? I think v eight's still a thing. I'm sure that's still business. Do you remember those commercials? Where the people didn't drink V8 and they fell over? Yeah, they were like tilted over. Um I don't think anybody knows that either. Okay. Yeah. Welcome to the 80s. When was that? <laughs> I don't remember. Okay. Okay. Peer support is a system for training students to help each other, um, basically with mental health issues. You're not a, a trained psychologist, but, but you can help counsel a student. You can help listen to them. You can help make them uh, feel better about their situation to find their own solutions. And he actually had some training in it through his college, so really fascinating we got to interview him it was a little bit early in the day so we didn't have beer at the time but but he did mention he had one Juan, he's over in the uk
0: and so his beer selection is quite different than our usual affair and as you'll hear he broke out a beer he's a fan of the show and knows beer is our our thing so he had a beer ready to be interviewed yeah, by us didn't. so anybody out there in the future if you're going to be on the show be sitting there ready with a beer If you want a gold
1: star or any kind of ethanol, it is a wide open theme.
0: That's true. Uh, But anyway, he told us he was drinking old speckled hen and Dan, you will be glad to know I got my hands on some old speckled hen here in North Carolina.
1: I'm very glad to know that. And it's a tasty beer. It is not our normal style. Definitely not our normal style. No, this is very
0: different than what we usually drink, but I like this. So this is the, and actually like it's the in quotes, old speckled hen. So if you can see me doing the air quotes It's an English fine ale, 5% ABV, brewed in England, and yeah, it's really good. It's quite malty, not overly hoppy, but a nice malt character to it. Must have come over
1: on a boat or something, but yeah, it's a really delicious beer, and if you haven't had uh, this English style, it's definitely worth trying.
0: You know, when I smell it, it reminds me of what my house used to smell like when I brewed beer.
1: Yeah, all the malts kind of cooking together. Yeah, so we will hear Juan
0: give a much more detailed description of this beer in just a minute. So he had some great things to say about supporting his fellow students that I think will really be applicable to a lot of our listeners wherever they are. Let's listen in.
2: My full name is uh, Juan Pablo Ruiz. Um, I'm originally from Mexico, but I've lived in the U.S. for uh, over 15, 16 years now. Uh, currently I am on the NIH Oxcam program, which is a really cool program. Um, I'm studying biomedical sciences and it's a really cool program because we get to do two years at the NIH and two years at either Oxford or Cambridge. So I'm doing my Oxford, uh, part now, and then I'm going to go to, uh, NIH this September.
1: That's awesome. That sounds like a really cool program. Very cool.
2: Yeah, it's really it's really nice. I really like it. Actually, it's uh, past uh, twelve o'clock here, so I actually have a beer with me.
1: Oh wow!
0: Uh, yeah, <laughs> fantastic.
2: It's a, bit, it's a bit early for you guys, but uh, I um, I was a bit upset because I went to the local farmer's market because they usually have a guy selling like really locally brewed beer, but he wasn't there today, so I had to buy some uh, from the store. But it's still local enough. It's from Suffolk. Oh wow! Uh, it's called an old speckled hen. I don't know if you guys have had it. Before. Oh
1: yeah. We get old speckled hen here. We're Definitely. All having-
2: ah, okay, cool. So then I guess it's not that exotic. No, that's uh, great.
1: We'll pick that up for the, for that episode. That'd be great.
2: Awesome. Yeah. Tell yeah, us and- about
1: it. What is it? What are the, what do you like about it? What does it taste like?
2: Well, it's quite good. I think it's not as uh, good as having it at the pub because um i mean i i find that it's it's quite funny cuz when my friends are here visiting uh they they taste the uh beer from the pubs which is hand pumped and they go ill this is really flat and uh, warm oh yeah uh, but uh this one this one is nice and cold so uh i guess i'm i'm i i like beer but i'm not really good with with the tasting stuff but on the can here it says the aroma is malty toffee lightly roasted and the taste is abundance of malts and distinctive toffee character. So very
1: good. Yeah, I don't know if you've heard the show before, but we're not very good at tasting either. So I won't um, worry too much about it.
2: I have. I, I've followed you guys uh, uh, every week uh, since... Well, I, I have to say I discovered you about a month and a half ago, and then you became my weekly tissue culture uh, listening go-to. And now I just keep uh, hearing you guys regularly. I on think the I think day. that's
0: that's really our main purpose is to...
1: Help grad students and postdocs pass the time doing tissue culture. <laughs> <laughs> Makes total sense. So you reached out to us not too long ago and, and mentioned something called peer support and, and how, it was, uh, how you were kind of using that around the lab. And, and we wanted to call you and find out more about it to see if this was something that other graduate students or postdocs could use.
2: Yeah, yeah. so I mean, for me, it's, it's probably been one of the best things I've, I've done since I started uh, grad school um, that's been outside of, of the lab. Um, it's, it's really a, a university-wide program, um, and, and I got involved with it through my college. So the way, the way university works here is a bit different from what we get in the U.S., and it's actually split up into colleges, which make up sort of the, the community of who you live and interact with. Um, kind of like the houses at Hogwarts so yeah, um, probably
1: exactly <laughs> like that right
2: yes yeah, so, well I mean, are you, you, are know, you Ravenclaw except, or Hufflepuff you're, you're
0: not Hufflepuff are you no, no you...
2: we're not Hufflepuff but I don't know what house I keep trying to think what what house uh, so I'm at Pembroke College which one what the equivalent of, of us is and I can't think of, of any of the four because there's clearly some Slytherin and, and Ravenclaw houses
0: uh, <laughs> oh is that right <laughs> but, I guess but, science, uh, science would select for that for the Ravenclaw yeah <laughs>
2: Uh, but I don't know what, what what ours is. But yeah, so so through my college, I got involved in this program because they needed some so there's the they have the different common rooms, one is for the undergrads, and one is for the uh, grad students, and it's called the middle common room. And um, they wanted some more people on this peer support program. And I signed up for it thinking it would be a, a good thing for me to join. And it was a really intensive program. So it was a 30 hour training program over eight weeks. But it was really nice because basically what the the point of it is, is, um, you know, when you're in university, whether you're doing a a PhD or or any other degree, you're going to go through some stressful times. And the idea is that while there is a counseling service that's fully um, accessible to the students, uh, you know, whenever they want to make an appointment, that... If you train some students as well in active listening skills and, you know, uh, effective communication skills and how to deal with different issues that students can have or or more commonly have, then a lot of times for a student to approach another student who is, you know, who they see every day or they interact with at parties or in classes or even in the lab, um, that it's easier for them to approach another student to talk to them in a way that is still confidential and you know sort of like counseling but that is, you know, more accessible and and more more open and perhaps more comfortable for the students to to do. And so it's it's been helpful, really, to I think uh, hopefully to people around me who I've I've done some sessions with, but also to me as a, as a person and as a friend, um, and just as as an overall you know uh, listener and 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 communicator. So it's been great. Yeah, all one, around.
1: that makes a lot of sense. It it there's a stigma to mental health issues, and I think it's especially strong in in academia and in science and to admit that I have a problem that I need to go talk to a counselor uh, that's really really hard and that's that's too high a barrier for a lot of people Um, and they may continue to to kind of suffer mentally because they don't want to to take that step because that's that's a really difficult decision but to have a person in my lab that I can just talk to I think that's an amazing change.
2: Um, exactly. Yeah. And and I think um, a lot of times because there is that stigma, even people who are going through the normal stresses of everyday life or maybe are going through particular breakups or grieving processes in their in their own personal lives outside of science don't want to particularly go to a counselor because there is that stigma attached to it that if I go to a counselor, I probably am admitting to myself that I have a, a mental health issue um, when really it's, you know, a lot of times. Um, it, it, I mean, the, the, the level of, of intensity that, that you may need help with and that you may need someone to talk to um, is, you know, it ranges from from, from all kinds of, of issues. And it's nice to be able to have someone to talk to that is just there as support, um, which wouldn't be very different from talking to your friend or to, you know, a relative. But a lot of times when you're in university and, and you've just moved in or you're living on your own and you don't have those so- sources of support, or it's you know the issues are surrounding those sources of support that you normally have. It's nice to have a third party, uh, and and like you said, that doesn't have the stigma or, or sort of this this hurdle to jump through to say I need to go see a counselor.
0: So so Juan, I might have missed this. What portion of the students have have this training? Is it all the students or a subset of the students? This peer yeah, support so- training.
2: No, so, so in this case, it's, it's a subset of the students um, who are put forth from the college um, who, who take this sort of training. So it's a voluntary uh, training. Uh, the only thing that the, the counseling service asks is that you commit to the, the full 30 hours um, and that you then once you've been trained, that you go to a supervision with the rest of the peer supporters at your college uh, once every two weeks. But it's, it's a subset. And in, in our college in particular, There's uh, people on the committee uh, who are known as the welfare reps, who are there to sort of take care of the students uh, in their welfare. Uh, But it's also, um, we've put forth, so our disabilities rep, both in the junior common room and in the middle common room, so for grads and undergrads, as well as the um, LGBTQ reps do go through this training.
1: So you mentioned some specific skills that you learned. Uh, What are they teaching you in these courses?
2: Yeah, it's it's really interesting uh, because when you first go it's it's sort of a, a back and forth process and and the, really the first thing that you learn is is active listening. And what what active listening entails is how to both verbally and non-verbally give the person that is coming to you with an issue cues that allow them to feel comfortable and understood as well. There are a lot of um, a lot of times when people come to talk to us, uh, you know, as friends or as family members, we very quickly jump on this, um, you know, and we do it subconsciously. We we develop an opinion about the issue, what, what it is that sh- would be best for them to do. And then we immediately start doing the talking ourselves and sort of put ourselves in their shoes and say, oh, you should probably do this, 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 and this. Whereas in this case, the active listening entails more of sitting down and allowing to tell a person this is a you know uh, and and one of the more important things that we learn is really confidentiality and how to keep that confidentiality so that when someone comes to talk to you they fully understand that you know whatever they say to you unless they're a risk to themselves or you know to to someone else that this is something that will not leave the the conversation that that you're having with them and so basically it's just giving them an open space to talk about what it is that they want to talk about But not just talk about it like if they were talking to a wall, but, you know, talk about it in a way that makes them feel that you're actually understanding and that you know where they're coming from and, and, you know, can give them just the support of being listened to, which is a very powerful, um, powerful thing to give someone. And while we were training in the active listening skills, we would actually separate into pairs and, you know, we would come come up with either issues um uh, imagined or real in our own lives that again were confidential and we would go back and forth practicing the active listening but also you know feeling that Freeing uh, experience of what truly being listened to and, and acknowledged and understood gives. And so that was, that's the main thing that we go through. But then we also learn skills such as, um, you know, effective communication. So, so rather than being passive aggressive or passive aggressive, how to be nonviolently assertive and, and be able to communicate your needs and your feelings to people in, in all ranges. Um, and also how to deal with, with other, um, you know, issues that can come up. Um, such as family issues that people bring with them over to the university or that have to deal with when they go back home, uh, stress related to uh, exams or uh, working in the labs, uh, supervisor issues. Um, and as well, you know, uh, some things that, that can tend to be a little bit more serious, such as suicide prevention and, and ways to help people going through emotional crises in their in their university or, or grad experience.
1: I mean, when you originally said 30 hours of training, I thought, well, that should be like a, a one-day session and be done with it, but it sounds like it really is a comprehensive look at, at mental health and I think it's great that they're having you practice these skills because I think active listening is one of those things that you will use all of your life, but you get better and better and better the more you do it.
2: Exactly, and the person that was training us is a counselor at um, the the counseling service at Oxford. So they're actually really well trained and experienced in a lot of what the issues that the students are bringing to them. So so it was a, a really good learning experience. Um, and like I said, we've got supervision. Uh, once every two weeks, and this is just for an hour, but it's where all the peer supporters from my college and the other college that we trained with get together with our trainer and bring up issues that are happening around our college so that if we feel a bit overwhelmed with the issues that are coming to us, then we can also have our sense of support and, and our ability to communicate these things. Because a lot of times, you know, I mean, that's one other thing, important thing that they teach you is that you can't just be there. Um, giving and giving and giving to someone without taking care of yourself as well because if you're not taking care of yourself emotionally, then a lot of these issues can sort of transfer onto you and can become really damaging to you as an individual as well.
1: Yeah, you have to, when the when the plane is going down, you attach your own mask before you attach the mask to the people next to you. And I think that's, exactly. that's a great life lesson. Do you have something exactly. to Yeah,
0: so it sounds like really great comprehensive training that could be useful not just in in science and grad school, but lots of places. Yeah. Could you talk though for a minute about any practical ways you have seen this training be useful, you know, in the lab or with other students that, that you've observed?
1: Yeah. And, and actually, obviously not violating yeah. any confidentiality, but a specific uh, yeah. example would no, be helpful for people.
2: No, 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 definitely. And, 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 you know, it's, it's interesting that, um, that, that you guys brought this up because, you know, I didn't train with these, with, with the peer support for lab or through lab. I did it for college and through college, but a lot of the instances that I've been having after listening to your podcast and after talking to people in the lab has, um, has been to start to notice a lot of these skills where they are more needed in, in a lab, lab environment or a, um, you know, a science environment because we're so focused on the science um, and and in doing experiments and in collecting data and in analyzing that data that we tend to forget a little bit um, about the you know emotional well being of, of students and it can be a very stressful situation. So I have come across a few um, areas, for example, where people are are having and and a lot of them are, are similar to the issues that we have that that you guys have discussed in in your program as well where it's issues of perhaps there's um, some miscommunication going on as to the expectations of how much time should be put into lab and, and um, how much time should be put outside of lab. How do you balance work and life? And how do you communicate that effectively with your supervisor so that both the, the expectations and, and needs of both parties are met? And that's where the effective communication comes into play, um, or the emotional well-being, you know, when, when someone is going through a really tough time in lab and the experiments are not working over and over and over again and they're going through a slump and they're really frustrated and they maybe don't have friends outside of the lab um, who can listen to them and understand them in that way. Or, you know, maybe the people that they talk to about this in lab only respond with what you guys have talked about with the typical oh it's maybe you you're not spending enough time in lab, you just need to go back and do more and more and more and more and more you know or or maybe you're not doing good enough so I think a, a lot of the the issues um, that we don't necessarily think about as scientists because we're very um, you know objective data driven people and because we're also very focused on the experiments and on the projects that we're doing a lot of those issues once you really start to give people the space to talk about them and once you know because no, no one talks about them in in a lab on an, on a regular basis but you know when i came in after this training and i started telling you know my my housemates or people at the institute you know hey we did this great workshop on communication effective communication or we you know learned today about you know, emotional uh, stability and intelligence and how to more effectively deal with stress. Um, Once you open that door for people to actually start a dialogue about it, you realize that a lot of people... Are thinking about the same things. A lot of people are going through the same issues, and they're just not talking about it because there's there's a weird taboo in, in science about talking about these things. And and it was just a very interesting and eye opening experience for me um, to have. So um, I don't know if, if that was specific enough for you guys, or that's, if you want something. I think something that's else. really
1: great. And and I'm as you're as you're describing this with the students kind of supporting each other. I I just wonder: Can you imagine a world in which the, the PIs and the, the head scientists took this type of training? Can you can you think about I, what that would be like?
2: <laughs> I mean, I've, I've been, since I took this training, this has been on my mind 24-7, is how do we provide? And I know that some, I mean, at the NIH, um, as, as the program that I'm taking, um, you know, the training that, that people go through when they go to the NIH for, for NIH programs is really great because they do offer a lot of these Um, You know, effective management courses, emotional intelligence courses, um, how to support people on that level. But I'm with you on this. I mean, if people and and I think it's going to be up to the, the generation of the people who are coming into science now and sticking around and forming their own labs to understand the importance of this, to be able to bring this about. But I mean, I think it would be great um, to have, you know, entire institutes uh, and, you know, not just labs where people are openly discussing about these things and where the type of emotional support is there to, you know, give Give people who are going through because everyone's going through the same stresses, right, or, or at least similar stresses. Um, so talking about these things and being able to give each other support um, through these these methods, you know, effective communication and, and active listening. These are all things that I think people could only benefit from. I think it would it would only make things much better than what they already are. Um,
0: so so one last question that I have is: Yeah, you were fortunate that your institution had this training available that you were you know, that you were able to take part in. So for our listeners, grad students and postdocs who are listening to this and think, yeah, that would be really helpful to learn some of these skills, active listening, emotional intelligence, just being able to more effectively support peers. Or to be supported. Or be supported. What advice do you have for, let's say, a graduate student who's at an institution that maybe doesn't have this formalized training, but who would be very interested in learning more or trying to instigate something like this on their own campus. what advice would you have for them? Yeah
2: I think I think uh, that's that's a very good point and I think it would be great um, if people did uh, you know look look into this um, a lot of times it won't be perhaps the science areas that have these types of trainings, but I know that a lot of um, businesses and corporations do take a lot of this into account and, and give this type of training um, because of, uh, you know, industrial and organizational psychology. So it could be that the training might not be offered through the, the, the science department, but if they perhaps search out in other departments, they may find that there are um, other other places that that offer this within the university Um, the other option would be to actually go to I I think and and hope that most universities uh, nowadays have some sort of counseling service for students and so if they feel comfortable enough approaching some of the counselors at the university and saying hey this sounds like a great model how do we go about learning or bringing some of these techniques into the university so that people can peer support um, then perhaps their counseling service can then you know start uh, a plan for for incorporating into the university and maybe even contacting me i'm I'm happy to put them in touch with the um with the oxford counseling service and they can offer tips and advice about when they were starting these programs up but um if if all else fails i mean there are different websites and and Um, organizations outside um, of the university setting that offer these types of trainings. Um, For the the one that comes to mind, because I have the sheet here in front of me, for nonviolent communication, which is a great um, course in and of itself to take, there is a Center for Nonviolent Communication, and they do have a website um, and a phone number Um, and, and there is a book written by the the author who, who originally came up with this Marshall B. Rosenberg, and, uh, it's the center for nonviolent communication. So I think the website I have here is www.cnvc.org. And I guess they can find out information on that type of thing, um, as well. Um, my university or the college is running another course called adaptive resilience, which is. Um, a lot along these same lines, but more geared toward teaching people how to deal with stress uh, in high stress situations and how to maintain a, a constant level of sort of contentment and calm. Uh, so adaptive resilience is the word for that. But uh, also look at the NIH training website. So OITE is, um, is the internal training uh, for the NIH. And I know that they do have a lot of these courses. So maybe they can find some grant money to go take one of these trainings at the NIH and then bring it back to their own campus.
0: Uh, so I think one thing we can do is I know we'll check out those websites. And I'm certain on the NIH website, a lot of these things are listed. But I think having a lot of these terms uh, for uh, are good starting points, for grad students and postdocs who are interested in learning more to do their own research. And so I know you sent Daniel some information about some of the training you did that has, you know, some of the curriculum with active listening, adaptive resilience. What we can do is compile these terms um, on our show notes when this posts. And so students will give them a starting point to know what to look for on their own campuses as they look for training or, or go online to try to learn more about these topics. Juan, this is that's this has great.
1: been fantastic. I want to live in the world where we are all uh, trained in active listening and nonviolent communication, where we're supporting people in our lab, where our PI knows how to communicate with us, and we know how to communicate back. That's that's where I want to be.
2: I agree with you. That's that's the uh, the world and the science that I wanna that I want to live in as well.
1: That was our interview with Juan. Yeah, really good. It reminds me a little bit. When I was in high school, I participated in something called peer mediation, where if two students had a disagreement or there was bullying, there was this system set up where a third party student could get together and do some of the things like active listening, and they would come up with a a plan to help them both. It was really fascinating to watch um, people who were kind of enemies in high school sit and they had to active listen to each other. So you have to say to the person, Mm -hmm. Uh, you kind of describe how you see the situation, and they have to say back to you what they heard you say, which is really tough, especially if you don't want to, you know, engage with them. But it, it really breaks down a lot of barriers.
0: Yeah, there's something powerful about interacting with your peers that is has much bigger impact, I think, than than if you sort of transverse these sort of power dynamic lines. But, you know, I also thought about in the context of graduate school, you know, often a PI or an administrator or or someone in the Department of Director of Graduate Studies, is not really interacting with the student quite at the day-to-day level that the fellow students are. And so often, the first responders, if you will, are the people who might see the first warning signs of a student in crisis are going to be the peers. And any system in place where we can actually equip people in those situations to be on the lookout for um, students in distress, but then also give them tools to help. I don't know about you, Dan, but how many times have you had a friend or colleague who obviously needed some support, but sometimes if you haven't had any formalized training or haven't thought about it in you that don't know context, where to start, yeah. yeah, it can be very overwhelming. And,
1: and I, you can get into really, you know, bad codependent relationships and things like that. But, but having the, the tools in your tool belt to be able to address some of these things. And I, I love what you said, Josh, about being that first line defense. if, if you, even if you have said, I, have, I need help and I'm going to go see a counselor, maybe that's half an hour once a week or every other week. You know, Having somebody there day to day when that experiment fails again or when your PI screams at you in the hall or whatever happens, um, I, I think that's just so helpful to have people around you to support you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Besides just people who will say,
1: yeah, that sucks. This is terrible. Yeah, just go to lab more. That'll solve it.
0: <laughs> you know, one thing that, that stood out to me that I thought was so important was acknowledging in this training, you know, not only giving students the skills to support their peers, but also providing a mechanism for the students themselves to get support in a case where they get over their head or so that, you know, someone doesn't put themselves out there as being a peer support person, but they also have an outlet that they can get help if a situation gets really extreme. Or
1: Yeah, that's so important. You don't know what kind of floodgate you might open by being the first person to listen. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely.
0: So, you know, we we brought up a lot of different techniques that, you know, Juan covered in his training, the active listening, nonviolent communication, adaptive resilience. Some of these Trainings may be available on your campus in different forms. I think it's worth doing a search, talking to some people, maybe in your counseling um, services center or in your human resources center. Maybe you could be a conduit to start some of these trainings, or at least point people into the direction of these trainings. Connect some dots from your department to maybe some resources that already exist on your campus. If not, you know Juan had some ideas. There are some websites, some resources. We've kind of given you some keywords you could start looking into. Um, to learn a little bit more about this on your own.
1: And we'll post some of those resources in the show notes. And uh, Juan actually very generously offered to respond to people who had questions for him. So if you send us an email, podcast at hellophd.com, we can forward your contact info to him and he can respond to you directly. All right. Do you remember last week's etymology puzzle? No. Okay, great. (laughs) Well, the clue was... Shows how much you really love the etymology puzzle, Josh. You <laughs> haven't been pondering it. It has been a, a really busy week. Yeah, I believe you. So the clue was, this class of drugs can take you on a trip to reveal your mind and soul.
0: Oh, I do remember this. Yeah,
1: and I think you know the answer.
0: I do know the answer. Um, I actually, last week, I guessed the answer immediately...
1: Yeah, and we had to cut that out because that's going to ruin the puzzle.
0: I think I actually made a joke. I said, ooh,
1: psychedelic. That is the answer, psychedelic. And I actually uh, thought of this one because we drank citradelic beer the other week. So it made me look up the, the origin of psychedelic.
0: There you go. What a trip.
1: Yeah. What a trip! So, psychedelic is two parts: psyche. So, this is the Greek word that has come to mean like your your total mind, your conscious and your subconscious. But originally, it it meant it comes from a phrase meaning to like to blow or air. So, it meant your spirit or your soul. So, you can see the the mind and soul in the clue, and the word uh, delos make, uh, or delun means to make visible or to reveal. So, you take this class of drugs and it reveals your psyche. Uh, it was first used by Humphrey Osmond and it was in a letter to Aldous Huxley I don't know if you've ever read Brave New world can't say that I have dude. okay well read it because because drugs figure uh, pretty heavily in in that book but um, pretty cool that psychedelic means revealing your mind
0: I like it I would not have thought that I kept wondering if the if the term deli has something to do it was gonna be folded like in there Delicatessen, yeah like, like yeah some deli meat. Uh,
1: I don't know. Well, that'll show up as a clue some other week, apparently. <laughs> It'll be like that one time I was right yeah. and I said something stupid It'll like be a that. stretch to make deli a scientific <laughs> word, but whatever. We'll figure it out.
0: Next week, delicatessen.
1: All right. Well, uh, Juan, who did a lot of work uh, to, to bring you this episode this week, also wrote an etymology puzzle for us.
0: I'll tell you, Juan was the total package as yeah, far as he it goes.
1: He showed up with a beer in
0: hand, ready to talk about his topic, and he even... Armed with his own etymology puzzle.
1: Uh, so oh, he had set, set the, bar the bar very high. Yes. So high. Okay. Well, I had to modify his clue a little bit because it was actually too hard. I, I had a very tough time getting it, and so he had to tell me the answer. So I modified it a little bit. Hopefully that's okay, Juan. The clue is if a Westerner offers you a handful of nuts from this tree, you'd be heartless to refuse. I'll read it one more time. If a Westerner offers you a handful of nuts from this tree, you'd be heartless to refuse. And I'm looking for the genus and species of that tree. So, Dang. yeah, it's a really tough one. But once you get it, you'll find the literal meaning of the, that science word is a phrase in the clue itself. And if you think you know the answer, email it to puzzle at hellophd.com. I'll randomly select a winner from all the correct responses and send the lucky puzzler an Amazon gift card. I was going to say walnut. Uh, it is not walnuts. Now we're narrowing it down, but that's good.
0: Okay. Well, Dan, this was great. Uh, you know, that was so important. This is such an important topic and one that I hope we can revisit again. And that is mental health during graduate training and, and ways that we can support each other, ways students can support each other. So important.
1: Yeah, I think so. And I think we'll hear from Juan again. He's got a lot of irons in the fire. And I think, uh, you know, he'll he'll show up on Hello PhD again. So hopefully you enjoyed listening to him.
0: And so this is a good example you know, Juan was a listener who had something that he was doing that was cool that he wanted to share with others. If you've got something that, you know, you've done or you're thinking about in graduate school as a student or a postdoc, let us know. We want we want to share it with our listeners, share it with the world. So get in touch if you've got something you want to talk about on the show.
1: It really is a conversation with people in the science community, so take advantage. I'm tired of hearing us talk. Me too. Then let's end it. Let's end it. We'll see you next week, John. See you next week.